you know, Steve and I did a little diving in Southeast Alaska this year and life in coastal Alaska anyway, between the birds and the seals and the whales and the bears. And then you go below the surface and it is just shockingly beautiful. It, like, and there's so much life everywhere. All right, what is up, everybody? We are joined today by Mr. Ryan Callahan, a big part of the team over at Meat Eater, host of Cal's Weekend Weekend Review podcast, frequent guest host, guest. I don't know. It's, it's your guys' thing. You're you're always on uh, on the on the show, the TV show Meat Eater. You can check that out on Netflix. I think you got you guys. I don't think I know. You just dropped a season this last September. Brand new episodes. Really enjoying it's those, by the way. Damn. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. So, uh, Cal, welcome. We're gonna play. Uh, we're gonna play a little twenty questions with Cal today. We're gonna get uh, get in the mind of a Cal. Uh, these are hard hitting questions. I mean, this is some this is some real reporting, folks. But uh, before before we do that, Cal, what's going on, man? Let's uh, let's uh, let's wrap a little bit. What have you been up to? Oh, so I just did a lap out to North Dakota for birds and uh, it was fun you know we, we got out there we scouted we got some landowner permissions we ran the river and uh ended up being there while north dakota got three and a half inches of rain which uh was just brutal but we got some good shoots out of it um i felt it was just like one of those like we were, we were kind of like there that day instead of being like, oh, you guys should have been here last week. And I was talking to some folks actually with Delta Waterfowl and they're like, well, how was it? I said, oh, like out. I shot my first uh, speckled belly goose, shot a couple of them. Wow. That was really cool. And I uh, shot cranes. We got cranes one day, uh, sand hills, which is something I've always wanted to do, like you know, that's an amazing conservation success story amongst a lot of amazing migratory bird conservation success stories. And uh, this guy for Delta Waterfowl is like, it's like I've lived here for 22 years and I've always wanted to do that. And I've never, never got either of those. No kidding, huh? Yeah. Man, that is yep. a big week. Three and a half inches of rain. I mean, that's putting the water in waterfowl. Oh, buddy. Yeah. And you know, it's, it's drought, um, cycle out here in the West, the prairie pothole region, which, you know, we're, we're basically like square in the center of in uh, North Dakota. It's like one of those times where people are like, well, I thought wetlands are supposed to be wet and all these potholes are dry. And then they got a little bit of rain to us prior to us showing up. And then that deluge and you could you could just literally see the water marching up to the kind of historic water lines in these potholes. And it was just just a great visual representation of um, how those wetland ecosystems work, you know. So they got to dry out from time to time in order for uh, new life to to begin when the rains show up. So. Dude, that's super cool. I, I was hunting South Dakota. I did a quick bomb bomb run out there uh, in uh, must have been was it early September, late August, early September. I don't know uh, to chase the antelope. 
with my bow and I was, I'd hike into all these spots, you know, I'd be on my onyx. I'm like, oh, there should be some water here, water there. Like wrong, wrong, wrong. Like I hiked into a lot of spots that, you know, like it, on the map, it said water, but there was, there was no water to be found. So uh, I'm, I would imagine that some of that stuff is filled up as well if they caught some of that storm, but. Definitely, definitely. And, and I, I had swung up, uh, outside of Jordan, Montana, on my, on my way home from North Dakota. And, you know, kind of that Badlands system out there, you could see the grass was was hit real hard over the drought, like very, very low um, browse for anything. And the basically like the only water out there was in like the man-made features, the, the improved water catches stuff like that um but those are catching water now too so they got about 10 inches of snow out there that's now gone of course but um it's just it's just just nice like there's more life out there than you thought there was going to be after a really brutal summer so yeah yeah uh, man like so cool and and so so needed you know i know when i lived in uh I lived in Nebraska for like seven years and Lake McConaughey is kind of like, I guess, uh, I don't know you call it like an impoundment or something on, on, uh, in Western Nebraska. But, uh, you know, there's a dam and the North Platte flows into it. And that thing was like super down when I lived there. Like I would hunt, like I was hunting turkeys, like pretty far back in or, you know, relatively whatever, like a decent little uh, hike back in. And we were into birds and I found like a landing net, you know, like where it, at some point it had fallen out of somebody's boat. Uh, so, and I remember thinking, dude, this thing's never going to come back. It's never going to come back. And then, like, one year, like, boom, it was, like, full again. I don't know where it's at right now, but it's it's just – it's wild how that how that can really fluctuate and also change and turn around in a hurry. Oh, yeah. And, and again, it's, just, it's such a good barometer, a good perspective for, you know, people who are out on the landscape all the time to see these places – at the high highs and low lows and and have that perspective because again like you know you start talking wetlands and there's a lot of people out there who are like it's in the name they're wet it's like well actually in order for them to do what they're supposed to do they got to dry out from time to time uh i was just talking with the farmer buddy of mine in south dakota yesterday who you know i was at on his place just just for a little bit last year and he's like all those sloughs that we were looking at he's like at the end of last year i was looking at them and i was like it is going to take years for these things to be dry and basically by that june this past june they were all bone dry and he's like he's like i couldn't fathom where the water went and um they had long dry summer real real dismal uh, pushing their pastures harder than they want to. And these are like very wildlife minded folks as well. And, uh, he's like, it was just tough. And then we got a little bit of rain in September and we got this super fast green grass explosion. Um, all the pheasants ended up having a, like a bonus clutch and, right now we're seeing like they just had their opening week of pheasants and he's like we were seeing like eight week old pheasants 
It's like there's a lot of birds that got up where you're like, oh, it's trying to be a rooster. (laughs) The feathers yet, you know, so um, it's great to see that response. And it's it's kind of a cautionary tale too. like I, I think the myself included, like on the bird side of things there's there's a lot of species that that need a little bit of a break this year so maybe uh you got to be a little more mindful of where your freezer's at and maybe not go for a limit every day um but uh get get the dog some exercise pick one good shot and and uh call it a day because if this winter is particularly harsh um then we could see see that real population effect uh for next season you know yeah, yeah. Like you said, uh, pretty darn, well, I don't know, it seems early to me, like that was like a big snowstorm that went through kind of like that, the west there for a few days. I mean, that was, how many, like, I, I was hearing, I can't remember how many, like, I was hearing like 20 inches, like 20 inches. I mean, is that even accurate? Oh, yeah. And I mean, you got to keep in mind, too, like that that same basic time of year, two years ago is where that, you know, the whole like Devil's Lake got three feet of snow uh, in, in North Dakota. Right. So it, it, it's wildly boom and bust and, and it's gone, gone now. Um, but the, and we had somewhere around 10 inches here in Bozeman. I know like my uncle's rancher out of big timber, they had 10 inches of snow at his place, um, up on the, the high line. When I was coming back on Sunday, there was still, uh, some snow on the ground, different, different parts of Montana. So, the mountains are holding on to it, which is great. So, yeah, that is good. The uh, getting back to the the cranes, what uh, I I didn't even realize that North Dakota had a crane season. Do you know how long they've had that for? You know that that's a great question. I'm not entirely sure when their first season was. I know here in Montana, we, you know, it, it was like a stop the car type of a, of an event when I was a kid to see cranes out in the field, um, certainly in, in more than like two or four or six. Um, and like, historically we got, um, the, like the kind of Western Mississippi crane down to, uh, you know, as low as or lower than about a thousand individuals. And now we're up, up over, the hundred thousand individual mark, um, the lesser over 400,000. Um, and you know, it's, it's a tremendous comeback. Um, you know, I, I'd always say it's, it's hard to keep in mind that these great comeback stories are because of really terrible stories of, um, you know, uh, not, not being very good conservationists, right? Um, letting things get away from us. But we got this great comeback with the cranes. And now um, we are seeing, I think Minnesota is considering a season right now. So um, they're a really cool bird. Um, the ones that we're hunting right now have been in the fossil record for over two and a half million years, possibly as long as 10 million years. Like they are, you know, if you want to call something a dinosaur, 
you know, I'm fine with you slapping that moniker on on a sandhill crane. They're incredibly cool birds, and we are seeing them in in some really significant numbers. Um, and and for you know, conservation takes a long time to talk about, but this is like a in my lifetime thing. And now you can get an over the counter crane permit in eastern Montana. And it's not, you know, it used to be like a draw, like as, as serious as a big game draw um, for moose, goat, or sheep here in Montana to draw a crane, crane permit. So it's, it's really cool. And, and they are, they're just like very tasty birds. Like, you, you know why hunting was a factor because like the ones that we got, they weren't like super fatty, didn't really want to, uh, pluck them and make them make them look nice so we just breasted them out and pulled the legs and the thighs and the the breast meat is very very good i made um oh like uh like it's some type of dish that you'd make with like a veal and it was incredible and then i did uh confit with the uh crane legs and thighs and I'll, I'll tell you, like, if you were to break a crane leg and decide right then and there on whether or not it was edible, nine people out of ten would say no. Like, the ligaments, the tendons and ligaments in that leg are like cable. They're like wire. And there's a lot of them. And, it, like, it is astonishing. You're like, you can't get a tooth through there. Um but once you slow cook them, everything pulls right out, and and the meat in those legs is is fantastic, and it's it's a lighter meat, which is which is pretty wild. Well, they're a pretty leggy bird. Oh, there's a lot of leg. That is super a lot cool. of leg. Is it like so? I've I've always wanted to hunt sand hills, and you know, I mean, for a long time, it was like. You know, seemed like, I don't know, I was aware of, like, you know, Texas, Colorado had a season. I mean, we had big numbers of them when I lived in Nebraska, particularly in the uh, in the spring, but there, there wasn't a season there. But it's really cool to see kind of some more of these seasons opening up as the resource, you know, can handle it uh, and people uh, getting into that. Uh, for the last few years, I've heard rumblings in Wisconsin, like, oh, you know, there's talk, there's talk. I, so far, all I'm aware of it is talk that we may get a season here at some point eventually, and and hopefully we do. And, you know, hopefully it just gets, yeah, more people, you know, I guess aware of the birds, caring about the birds, uh, excited to learn about the birds, and kind of like what you're saying yeah i mean and even just like a revenue generator for you know conservation like if they said eh, if you want to buy a crane tag that's gonna be 50 bucks i would pay i'd pay 50 bucks i'll, I'll let the dnr know that right now i'd pay 50 dollars to shoot one crane maybe more oh, i love it. they they just as i think your your nail on the head there as far as like an awareness thing like to have an, a, se- a season will 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 drive awareness of the bird and hopefully we do a good enough job to say um you know these are the type of habitats these birds like this is where we were with the population um this is where we're at now um and and hunting is is considered still a threat to the species overall um but you know i i believe that that is um 
when you consider hunting as like an unregulated sort of uh, threat versus a regulated uh, management tool. So, you know, as I think most folks are aware, whether you like it or not, if we can hunt something, we typically figure out a way to keep that thing healthy and on on this planet, you know, so. Well, and so many other things benefit from that, right? Like you might be uh, super into deer or elk or grouse, and, you know, so maybe you you, you join the RMEF or, or the uh, Rough Grouse Society or, or whatever, and that's kind of like where your, your passion lies. But so many other species benefit from the work that gets done, um, you know, in those habitats or, or whatever. So, um, yeah, songbirds, pollinators, it's, everything's got, got so much overlap. And one big piece of legislation that's coming down the pipe right now is the, um, uh, Recovering America's Grasslands Act. And that one is wildly beneficial to waterfowl. So if you're a, a duck hunter, Um, think of how many species nest in grasslands and you know it's just like not you know it's like waterfowl it's in the name is they're they're water birds right um so that's that's just a good example grasslands obviously antelope deer the things that you you think about um but those cranes too those cranes spend a lot of time roaming through the fields picking up a little bit of grain here and there, but also, um, mice, frogs, salamanders, um, all sorts of cool stuff. So tons of overlap in these ecosystems. And, you know, certainly from my, uh, hunting perspective, I I would encourage everyone to be invested in, in saving them all. So, I like it. I like it. Yeah, you, you talked about uh, the cranes eating like mice and stuff. We had some cranes that I was watching that were by our house, and I watched one like pick up and essentially swallow like this large vole type creature. And I was like, man, I didn't know they did that. <laughs> yeah, man, you go pick one up and you really look at the the head and face and gullet on those things, and um, they're they're pretty mean machine. They are, and they look awesome, and they're super cool, and apparently, which I have not experienced firsthand, delicious. Uh, speaking of speaking of meat, not the meat of Sandhill Cranes, but we're going to get into the meat of this podcast, maybe the meat eater of this podcast, Ryan. Uh, 20 questions, and we're going to cap this off. I'm going to tease this. At the very end, we're going to do a quick overrated, underrated accurately rated so i'm gonna we'll give you a few things uh and uh and uh i think those will be uh i think that'll be fun and it was also a way for me to cram like a bunch more questions since i had more than 20 into like one question and and count it as one question so uh first things first question one topic one cal uh i think we need to address the mustache in the room here so uh, ever since ever since i've known you it's it's a cow staple it's, it's iconic cow. I mean, I think if you asked a lot of people to be like, oh, like, give me one defining characteristic of cow. There'd be a lot of really good ones. Like, you'd be like, oh, he's super smart. He loves the good, excellent hunter and fisherman, just, just consummate outdoorsman, uh, good looking, smells nice. You're too but, good to me, Mark. But they'd probably say, 
the mustache, which actually forever, forever, like I like if I saw that mustache, like if I was at the at the airport, I'd be like, oh sweet, there's Cal. But nowadays, that's not the case because it's like uh, it's like it's part of the outdoorsman's uniform. Like you, you single-handedly started a mustache trend that is going very strong. But so let's 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 go back in time, like. You're like the first. You're the OG of the mustache in well, modern times. You know, there's, there's, there's probably a lot of old tobacco stained mustaches <laughs> prior to me that um, that uh, I, I, I I'm I'm happy to be a a, a part of that clique, but uh, I'm not going to claim uh, that I'm that I'm the start of the trend. My deal with the mustache, like plain and simple, is as long as I can remember forever, I've always, always wanted like the big bushy mountain man beard. And I just could never grow one, nor can I grow one now. And the only thing that I can successfully, you know, crop is, is the mustache. So it used to be something that would come and go. And, you know, secretly like people would be like oh you know i i bet you whatever that you wouldn't wear a mustache for a month or whatever and i'd take that better every time um now i kind of joke and say it's like my get out of jail free card where you know as soon as uh i'm i'm done getting a little bit of spotlight i'm just going to shave it off and and uh be persona non grata again but uh i like it i like it i ingest a little bit too much of it from here and there but (laughs) well i'll tell you this i like it as well and a lot of other people like it as well because i see a lot of damn mustaches mustaches out there in the world today and uh even though you won't take credit because of your modesty I'm still giving you the credit. So, bam, you got it there. So, uh, I, I always find these stories interesting. Question two, by the way. I'm gonna, I'll am gonna, keep these numbered. Uh, how did you get into hunting and fishing? Like, I mean, you're, like I said, consummate outdoorsman, one of the most knowledgeable people that I know in the space. Uh, what was, like, how did you get your start? You know, my, my, my folks, my mom and my dad, my mom... Uh, she and, and her mother have always like loved to fish and that was just like a good, fun, inexpensive way to entertain me. And, you know, I'd be like going catching grasshoppers first and then going fishing later. And I was obsessive with it. So I, I got to thank mom for that. And she is still honestly like slightly annoying to be around when fishing comes up. Like she is, I mean, just over the top. I mean, and, and will not stop. So thank you mother for that. And then, um, had, had a great mentor, like next door neighbor who, you know, saw my obsession with like outdoors type things and, and offered to take me out for little hunting and fishing excursions. And that was huge. And then, um, my dad was and and still is like organized athletics guy and anything 
like school sports. Like he is Mr. College football still. Um, but you know, really was the consummate like football coach and, um, was able to be like, all right, I see that you, despite all of my fanaticism about organized athletics, you kind of put up with that. But what you really want to do is this. And he, yeah, I mean, he, he, he caved, he would take me out, um, and, and go well beyond his expertise to make sure that I got out. And then eventually he, uh, hooked me up with, uh, the first outfitter that I would eventually ever work for. And yeah, I mean, I, I latched onto that guy and that guy had the patience of Job. And I asked him, you know, every single question that I had packed in my brain from like 12 years of reading field and stream and outdoor life that, you know, that was like my yearly birthday present from my mom was a subscription to those magazines. And, you know, I never had anybody to ask the questions that I had. And so I just uncorked on this salty old outfitter and, uh, yeah, little, little did he know we were going to be best friends for, from there on out. And, and, uh, and, and that was that. So I just spent a lot of time in camps, uh, before I was working in them and then, uh, eventually started working in them. So I like it, man. That's awesome. That's awesome. Uh, question three. So, I mean, uh, I think a lot of, if you're outside, if you're in the outdoors, if you're hunting, you know, I think there's definitely a, oftentimes a high level of adventure and situations can get a little bit hairy at times. Uh, what, uh, you got a scariest hunting moment? I think that it's possible that my attitude is such that I don't register a lot of real scary moments. You know, I'm kind of like a never, never say die type of person. Um, yeah, I'm blo- always I, like, well, I can figure that out. Yeah, I, bl- I block them out too, Cal. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, oh, well, you know, it wasn't that bad. I, I can figure that out. But, you know, we, we've, had, we've had some instances like looking back where it was like that, you know, that really wasn't that smart. Because if this, like, one more thing would have happened, then we would have had to do this, and the chances of everybody coming out of that situation with all their fingers and toes, you know, not good, right? So, um, yeah, I've have had a few. That's, that's really the ones that, like, stick out the most, you know? Like, um, I've been charged by grizzly bears, um, a handful of times at this point and have always like really been analytical of, of those moments because I, you know, I, I believe that most of those situations are preventable. And I was like, well, God, why was I not smart enough to see this coming? And, um, so something I'm trying to get better at, but you know, maybe it's cockiness or something, but I'm always like, even when they're real close, I'm like, I could, I could, I could figure that out. I still had time. Um, 
the like cold, you know, just, I love, love late season hunting, uh, having camp on my back, sleeping in the snow, um, and, and being out there where it, it is, it's just, just cold and it, and it's a different experience. And, um, there's always reminders of, you know, why you really do need to move slow and be methodical about things and pick your routes carefully. And doesn't matter how big the buck or the bull is. Um, you gotta plan ahead and, and, and be smart because you can just get in situations that, um, can, can turn bad really quickly. And once you get real cold, it, you get cold in my opinion at a rate much faster than you can reheat once you hit a certain deficit level. So, um, and you're just like, you're burning gas in the tank. And, and I, I, I just think it's a fascinating and challenging environment to put yourself in. And, and, uh, I look, look forward to it every year, but there's always some, some instances where, it's like, ooh, could I have built a fire in that condition? Like, could I have walked myself into warmth in that condition type of type of deal? So, yeah, that's tricky, man. I mean, uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, an early September, you know, backpack hunt is definitely different than a November, December type backpack hunt. What are there any like? I mean, honestly, to the point where I mean that. That's like you said. There's definitely some risk factors involved. I mean, there is in everything we do, right? You could get hit by a bus tomorrow. But um, are there, are there some gear considerations that you're making there? Like how how are you essentially surviving out there? Because it's not it's not easy that time of year. Yeah, you know, I just tend to carry a decent amount of camp on my back. No, no matter what. So like when when the temperatures drop, I have a couple of different ways uh, of making fire, which, um, like one thing is like, I'm, I'm almost never without my, my, uh, backpacking stove at that point. Mm-hmm. So I, and I, I plan on like, I like, like a cup of coffee in the morning, a cup of coffee at noon. Um, and so I kind of go in excess on the fuel level and I always have enough in reserve for a situation of everything's gone terribly wrong and I need to uh, start a fire with my camp stove. Um, and then in addition to that, you know, I, I'm always picking up pieces of pitch wood or looking at, at um different means and methods kind of throughout the year and assembling little kits, um, in like old ibuprofen bottles and stuff like that. Um, and just being familiar with, with how to use that stuff. So like every time I start a campfire, I'm trying out something else under very relaxed conditions. Um, and just kind of like keeping up with that skill and keeping notes of like, Oh boy, this is a 65 degree night 
in September in my buddy's antelope camp. And it took me 25 minutes to start this fire using this thing that I put together that I thought it'd be great. That's probably not going to be my go-to when it's negative 17 somewhere. Yeah. Um, so yeah, you're just, just always practicing, I think is, is a great takeaway for folks listening. Like I, I do it all the time and, and sometimes I refine things that worked great and I just put away for no real good reason, trying to find something better. Um, and yeah, I, I really do try to limit the amount of extras. So I don't like, I'm not going to have like a whole nother set of long johns or, um, you know, more than two pairs of socks for 10 days, as nasty as that sounds. Um, but I have like plenty of insulation, like lightweight insulation and like I said, extra fuel and, um, a good first aid kit. So, and, and really like, I love these long extended hunts with camp on my back. And, and last year, uh, I shot a, shot a buck right at, right at the end of the trip and started packing that buck, that buck up to a ridge that I knew I could get it out, uh, on the next day. And while I was doing that, this big storm was building up and, then it was dark and it was just a whiteout snowstorm. And, you know, I, I was, I was very comfortable, uh, temperature wise, but you know, now it's like 20 to 30 mile an hour winds and driving snow. And, you know, your headlamp is just reflecting snow. And, um, walking on this ridge that I know is the ridge and I'm walking and walking and walking and I've got the buck hung up in a tree for tomorrow and eventually I'm like boy I've been been moving for a long time and and I should be you know at these little landmarks at this point and and this is a brand new area so these are all brand new landmarks but you know you you make you know, these places, right? That's like part of your, your survival strategy. It's part of like making an area familiar to you, right? Wherever you go, it's like, Oh yeah, that building right there is the one that, you know, um, and so, you know, finally, like I dig out my phone and on accident and I download all the maps prior and I, I keep, the stuff on me, but I just don't like looking at it all the time. And then I always have this like survivalist mentality of like, God, don't burn the battery out. You're going to need that. Right. And, um, you know, look, look on the map and, and it turns out that I was more or less in the right spot. I was just on like a real wide part of the Ridge and I was just like a lot further from the tent than I thought I was, but it was so, again, the snow was so reflective that it was so dark that I, I really did have to use that phone my whole way back to the tent, like literally the, the whole way 
back until I could pick up the little like bits of reflective P cord in my headlamp. And it was just a really good reminder that I could have, it wasn't part of my plan to use my phone and Onyx to get home, but it became like a necessary thing to get home. And it was a good reminder that why wasn't this part of your plan? Like you should have hung the buck up in a tree closer to where you got it. And then your plan of not using your phone to get home would have, would have still been a good, good plan. And it sounds like a goofy thing, but you have to take note of all these, uh, in my, my mind, like mess ups, right? It's like, okay, well, why wasn't that part of your plan? Or, you know, it's like, what if you had been using your phone all day and, and, uh, you were going to be out of, out of battery and, um, you know, would you have shot that deer type of things? Like, you know, it's just, just all that stuff. And then, um, you know, you, uh, crawl in the tent, you got a, got a big fire and you get to recap the, story of what the hell took you so long to your buddies in there and and uh it you know dry out a little bit dry the uh, frozen sweat off of you and and everything's uh hunky-dory so but it, it's just like keeping tabs on that stuff is i think really important yeah no i mean having having a good mapping program like onyx has literally changed like really it's it's changed the way that I hunt. It's changed the way that I can't hunt. It's like extended my, you know, you don't want to like fully depend on that technology. Like if you lose your phone or whatever, like, so I'm, you know, personally, like I build in some redundancies. I've probably said this before to you. I was born without a sense of direction. Uh, it's just, uh, it's just a limitation that I have. So I probably overly depend on those things, but man, being able to, to be confident that you're going to find your way in or out of a place um, is a pretty big deal. And, and like you said, you're in a snowstorm like that. Like you might have, that could have been a unit or an area potentially that you'd hunted a hundred times, but snowstorm like that, I mean, it's soup, get disoriented or even, you know, you get in thick forest, you know, that can be easy to get disoriented there. And, you know, you're not, all of a sudden you, you don't, if you don't have the ability to check, you might find yourself going in the wrong direction. So that's, uh, that's, yeah, that's a big one. That's a big one. I like that. Um, we talked. Uh, well, I was trying to. I was. I was. I was trying to get your scariest hunting moment there, but apparently, uh, you know, you're just numb to grizzly charges and such. So uh, I couldn't. Couldn't quite pull that out of you. Do you have a most in contrast? Oh, well, of- hey, this uh, moose hunt. Uh, a buddy of mine drew a great moose tag, um, and uh, we threw a new mule into the pack string. Her name's Dottie, and. Uh, my buddy Kyler, his his daughter calls her Pumpkin Pie, which I think is a great name too. That's a great but, name. But <laughs> uh, it's kind of always been my responsibility to to jump on the new stock and see how it goes. A trial by fire. And um, Dottie's awesome. She's got a great set a set of skills and we got to work on a few things and she doesn't like trails that drop off into creeks even small ones 
and she gets a real skittish, uh, got to get a little psychological with her and, and see what happened in her past and walk her through a bunch of that stuff. Um, but we're cutting our way through this really old trail. And, uh, so there's lots of, uh, stobs sticking out like busted ends of down trees. And we're going through this section of trail that looked relatively clear. Dottie freaked out over the, the Creek um, in an, in a spot that seemed very, very insignificant. Uh, she sidestepped hard and I took one of those stobs to the stomach and she was driving hard forward. And it just seemed like one of those things where I was kind of like locked into the saddle. I couldn't really fall off cause I would, I would fall a, a long way. You know, I'm feeling old and feeling like I'd break myself with, a long fall off a tall mule and um and i just like barely got that chunk of wood off my gut and uh felt like i, I was in danger of getting pierced or uh you know my head cracked open from a long fall but that that'd be like the most recent scary thing yeah man i mean that is scary that that's a good one, you know, and that's just one of those things. Like, like off the top of your head, you like you think, oh yeah, grizzly charge or you know whatever. And that's not. I mean, I know like stock can be dangerous, right? But like, that's also one of those things where you're like, huh? Of all of all the things, like I didn't picture this be happening right now, you know? Yes. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, there's all those all those little things that like you talk to game wardens and first responders and they see lots of gnarly stuff and very seldom is it the big iconic grizzly charge that is doing people in. Yep. For sure. For sure. Um, golly, man, that is wild. Well, I'm glad you're okay. Uh, great to hear. All right, Ryan. So, so in contrast to, to the most, the, the scariest hunting moment that you may have had uh what is uh, you got a most fun or most memorable or or something uh recent that really stands out yeah just like a quick recent one on that same moose hunt i i guess i i really should say like you need to, every time you get a chance to go out with with your friends and hang out for any amount of time like you, you gotta take stock of that that's always a, a special deal and and very fun but uh I uh, have this Can-Am side-by-side. It doesn't have defrost, um, you know, because I like to rough it. <laughs> and um, But the the front windscreen, windshield, you can open, and it's, like, open all the way, right? And so it's a real frosty morning. We're all bundled up with tons of clothes for the wind chill. I got the windscreen open so it's not frosted up. We're driving down the road, uh, trying to get up to this spot to glass for moose. And I see this bird take off from the side of the road that must have been nesting on the side of the road. And, you know, I'm about to be like, whoa, did you see that? Because I, I thought we missed it. Like I hit the brakes and I thought we missed the bird. And my buddy Kyler goes, something hit me in the chest. I was like, you know, con- concerned, and uh, I, I don't like to 
to harm or kill things that I'm not going to eat. And so I stopped and we got our headlamps on and uh, I don't, didn't stop. I'm still driving down the road just much slower. And he opens his armpit and out of his big puffy jacket flies the bird just straight back out the windshield and uh, seemed to be totally fine. And all I could think was that bird was like, so I got hit by a car today and it was a totally different experience than you'd think. <laughs> exactly. Are that, like really the, the irony there in a way is that he was saved by the sacrifices of all of his feathered friends. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No kidding. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Big puffy down jacket saves bird. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. I just, yeah, that's like like one of those bizarre, like, yeah, the, again, the things you don't expect. You know, you don't be expect to be impaled when you're, uh, you know, riding a mule, and you don't expect to get hit by a bird. Um, yes. I like it. What about what about with the show? Is there a, uh, is there like a behind the scenes, uh, most, uh, maybe most uh, awkward meat eater moment? That that uh, you're like, man, like that was just like that was just like a little bit weird, man. Well, Mark, I mean, you've you've seen it, right? It's like playing twenty questions with dirt in the fish shack in southeast Alaska. Like <laughs> he is a fascinating funny... individual. I love that. Absolutely. Guy. Absolutely. He's running a camera trace chasing like drug drug traffickers right now or something. Yeah, boy, it's hard to have anything that like that sticks out at this point. That's a, that's a real bummer. I got to think about that one. Well, I don't, if you're, if you're as awkward as I am as a human being, the awkwardness, awkwardness is just normal. So that's just like, that's just your reality. You live in a state of awkwardness. So that, that's my life. Um, Oh, exactly. What about, uh, switching gears here? And, uh, you like fish. You're an angler. Do you have a, uh, uh, a favorite fish? to fish for and how how do you like to fish for it you know i i really enjoy anything that's that's kind of challenging you know like running around out here trying to ice angle for perch i get a lot of enjoyment out of because i I just i've never really stuck them good like get two or three and be like oh my god i found the spot finally and then just never have really smashed them so, even, so I, I do get a lot of enjoyment out of that even when you're fishing it's the hunt that you're attracted to then the hunt for big perch exactly exactly i love it and i absolutely love spear fishing and i've been uh trying to dive as much as possible and it just brings like a lot more challenges um you know i mean very 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 similar to the exact same as like starting to learn how to hunt on land um, where you got to figure out the gear and you're super awkward and the terrain and um, it's, it's a wonderful challenge. And um, you know, Steve and I did a little diving in Southeast Alaska this year and it like, there is so much life in coastal Alaska anyway, between the birds and the seals and the whales and the bears. 
and then you go below the surface and it is just shockingly beautiful. It, like, and there is so much life everywhere. And those tide changes happen and everything comes even more alive. Like all the anemones are waving in the, in the current and lots of different colors and man, like diving for crabs, diving for scallops, uh, spearing fish. It's, it's incredible. I mean, it's, it's, it's weird to just kind of like be more immersed in life, I guess. And, and that's, that's been a, just, just a really, really incredible, you know, extra hobby that I don't need. <laughs> right. I mean, yeah, like you said, I mean, a whole new world, right? I've done very little, you know, snorkeling or free diving, like, you know, like not even in my pinky nail. Can I, you know, talk about it really? Like I did, I tried actually up in Southeast, um, this last spring and, and I think I just like I did it in in more like bay in bay areas or whatever um and like when I went like the clarity was an issue like that was a little tricky and I just wasn't seeing like a lot of stuff that you're describing which actually makes me want to go back more and maybe like do it right or different the next time and try and figure it out because I did not figure it out at all I spent like I don't know like um, probably close to three hours in the water but um and then, yeah, just trying to like, you know, dive down, clear your ears, you know, stuff like that. But, um, yeah, when you were up there, were you doing it, uh, like free dive style or, um, did, did you guys scuba or how, how were you guys doing that? Yeah. Just, just all free diving. Um, and you know, there's so much to do and, and the fish shack is, is its own beast, uh, keeping that thing and the operations all running that really what kicked it off is uh old Chester Floyd and I were out uh picking and setting crab pots and I uh somehow sucked Renella's um fish finder and sonar set up right off the back of the boat. <laughs> I shouldn't laugh. And kind of marked her on the phone and got some landmarks and then the next day we arrived back on the spot and I had all my diving gear and dove back down there and recovered it. So you, you got it. I did. I did. It was, it was just bizarre because the, you know, everything changes so fast up there. It was crystal clear. Like I couldn't believe that I couldn't see the thing from the boat, half tempted to just go naked and go for it. Right. Um, well, the next day it was like soup and you couldn't see at all. Then I jumped in. I told Chester, I'm like, man, this is a lost cause, but it's like right in this area and very first dive. Like I hit the bottom. I'm like, this is pointless. I look left. I look right. And I'm like, oh yeah, but there it is. Unbelievable. And when you, when you recovered it, like still working order, like all the buttons were good. Uh, the buttons were great. Uh, the screen uh, smoked and uh, acted as if it was going to catch on fire. <laughs> if that's what it's supposed to do, then yes. It sounds like it's working fine to me. Um, yeah, yeah, I wouldn't. I wouldn't worry about that at all. Um, dude, that's awesome. 
yeah, like you said, man, that, that underwater world is, is something else and something that, man, you know, I'm personally looking forward to uh, exploring a little bit uh, a little bit more. Um, speaking of fishing, and this is, you know, personal opinion, uh, I, I like to fly fish. I think you like to fly fish. But would you say, is, is, a, is strike indicator just a fancy word for a bobber? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think bobber is a great, great word on its own. So, um, but you know, to each their own, no judgment, I, but I, I'd be absolutely lying if I didn't say that I've referred to it as a bobber in certain circles, because I knew that was an abrasive term. <laughs> Just intentionally rubbing people the wrong way. You know, I feel like it's funny. Like I've seen that, like, you know, in, in the fly fishing world, you know, and actually just because that's what I grew up calling it. Cause that's what it's called. Like I still call it a strike indicator. Uh, but it is, it is a bobber. And then when I had float fish, like I, for like steelhead things like that, I still call that float fishing because I feel like it's, uh, somehow it's got a little bit more, um, I guess prestige, you know, cause I, by when I, or more reference to what you're doing. Yeah. 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 Maybe not prestige, but yeah, like it's like more of a descriptor. Cause when I think of bobber, I'm like red and white worms, you know, which, you know, like float fishing yeah. or fly fishing with a strike indicator. Like there, there definitely is some, you know, technic technicality to it. There's definitely a more, you know, technical style of fishing. I had a buddy of mine, um, and he's like, I only fly fish. I've probably mentioned this story before. He's like, oh, I'm a fly fisherman. I'm, all I do is fly fish. Like, And he did look down on other styles of fishing, Cal. And uh, he'd be like, oh, you use bait? I'm like, yeah, I'm drift fishing for steelhead. It's like it's like really technical, like hard fishing. And all the fly fishing that he ever did was he would fish coronamids over under a strike indicator in, in still water fishing. And I'm like, anyway, I, I, I obviously right. I still have a problem with that to this day. Uh, You're like, in a way, you could call your chronomids the bait. <laughs> right. Um, yeah, you know, I mean, it's all, uh, you know, it's, I guess, you know, it's uh, all depends on how you, how you want to look at it. What about um, what uh, your cook, You're, you know, you, you hunt a lot, take a lot of wild game. Do you have a favorite wild game to eat? And then what is like, if you could pick like your number one preferred way to pair it, what is, uh, to prepare it, what is that? What's that dish? It really is like something that I haven't tried in a while, like going back to an old recipe or something like that and be like, oh my God, this is so good. Cause we all get kind of stuck in ruts, like the thing that, you know, you can make quick or the thing that everybody likes or, you know, whatever, um, like my guilty pleasure meal is like eating a whole super fatty duck by myself. Like every time, like that's the thing that I'm like, Oh, you know what I'm going to do tonight. <laughs> and there's nobody here to stop me. Exactly. And nobody's looking. Um, and yeah, man, just like, you know, cook super hot, medium rare on the grill let it rest a little bit and man, it is just a killer. Um, and is that just like, I mean, is that like a salt and pepper program or like, it's just the, the whole pluck duck on the grill with how, what are you, you adding anything to it or doing anything special there or just, uh, traditional? Yeah. You know, like that salt fat fire is 
all you really need for for a duck with a good layer of fat on it like you know late season birds when they've switched off of invertebrates and they're they're really on seeds and grains mm-hmm. or more more plant plant matter um, and they're putting on a heavier coat of fat is is just a phenomenal phenomenal eating bird and I will score the fat in like the really fatty places to help some of that render out, um, rub the thing down with salt, uh, pepper, you know, if you have a favorite like spice blend, that's great. Um, and yeah, just like get that thing on a super hot grill. I start out skin side down and then I go uh, meat side down. And then I might flip it back to the skin side for a minute, but you know, it's, it's a pretty darn quick process and then let it rest and hang out for a minute. And then, uh, you know, like I really don't mess around with like duck, you know, doing any duck sauces and stuff like that. Uh, I'm never like disappointed when there's a sauce with duck or something like that. But, um, when it's just me at home, that's, it's just a step too much. It's unnecessary. I, exactly. Exactly. So, hey, simple is good, man. I, I've been called a simpleton at times. Uh, <laughs> I don't know what that really means, but, uh, uh, but, uh, no, that sounds good. Does it turn out kind of like, is it almost like just like a rare steak then? Like a, like a, almost exactly like a rare beef steak? Is. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, like that whole like ribeye of the sky thing that, that a lot of people try to reserve for crane. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think it's probably more appropriate for duck because you're getting so much more fat. Um, and the reality is, like, occasionally, like if I tried three times in the fall to make a goose breast exactly like a steak one one out of the three is like exactly like a steak the the difference is is like for whatever reason like two of the three are just tough like the flavor is good it tastes good it looks good it's it's just tough and i don't it really uh bothers me that i can't figure out how to do that more consistently and i've done it you know in the sous vide and and have tried some brines and stuff like that um but like right now i have uh some big canada goose breasts in a brine to make like corned goose breast oh nice and i love sandwiches so sandwiches and charcuterie always always a crowd pleaser so that's what those those will turn into Absolutely, man. That sounds awesome. Uh, we, you know, we're talking a little bit about uh, bird hunting, and uh, a big part of bird hunting can be dogs. Now, the last time we had you on the podcast, Cal, you had just—it's always a pleasure, by the way—you just gotten a pooch. Uh, number one, you hadn't named the dog yet. So, have you named your dog? And then, follow-up question, and uh, I think you might have experience with this. Now, I'm not asking you to be a veterinarian. But do you have a number one tip if your dog gets bit by a snake? So the dog's name is Snort. And um, she's 
just just fantastic and and she did get bitten by a rattlesnake this year and that was horrifying and she reacted really um severely but then uh consequently had a really incredible fast turnaround recovery um and so she really um exceeded expectations on on both ends of the of the thing she's like a um, honey badger oh god it's it's wild man it is wild and you know i'm a i'm a animal sissy and uh the dog uh is uh spoiled wouldn't be the, the easy way to put it but so what i would tell people is like unless you are a vet there's not a whole lot you can do when transporting your dog to care like for uh, a snake bite victim of any species what you want to do is is keep them calm comfortable relaxed heart rate and that's just not going to promote the flow of the venom and the toxins within the venom throughout the body. It's going to keep it more localized. Uh, and ideally what you're going to deal with is, is pain and then, um, you know, some dead, dead tissue, Mm -hmm. uh, around, around the bite itself. But one thing that you can do is, uh, Benadryl for your pet and you can get technical, and ask your doc about like, well, how much Benadryl in what uh, time span for the weight of the dog. But Benadryl isn't going to have a sort of like a long lasting negative effect on your dog. Like ibuprofen is, is toxic to dogs. And so, you know, um, that isn't something that you should be giving unless uh, you have some some backup in what quantity, and it should only be like an extreme situation. Um, Benadryl isn't going to like fight the toxin. It's not going to fight um, the dog's reaction to the toxin. It is a mild sedative Hmm. and so it will help calm the dog and again ideally it's going to like reduce that heart rate and it's going to help fight the toxin from the fact that it's not allowing it to course through the body at a a super fast rate you know stopping the bleeding is huge even if the animal's in a lot of pain you got to stop the bleeding um talk uh venom has an anticoagulant and uh so stopping the bleeding can can be hard it certainly was in our case um but if you don't stop the blood flow like uh you you could have a dead dog not strictly because of the reaction to the toxin it's it's the fact that uh, they ran out of blood right so i didn't uh, i didn't realize that a wound from a snake bite 
would be um, prone to bleeding, like to that level where it could be, you know, that serious. Yeah. I, I mean, I didn't, it's, I think it's all location, you know, like lower extremity bites to feet, uh, lower parts of the legs. Um, everybody I talked to is like generally not a big deal. Snort got bit right on the, the leading edge of her ear, highly vascular area. Mm. You know, any dog owner knows that like ears just bleed like crazy anyway. And then you throw in, a you know, what was likely a severe reaction, um, to the anticoagulant in the rattlesnake venom. Mm -hmm. And it just was an incredible amount of blood. You know, it took me a week to clean the blood out of the can-am, you know, and, uh, it was, it was a, a wild deal, but, uh, yeah. So if you can, you, you're going to want to address the wound to address any bleeding and you want to keep that below the animal's heart and you want to get that animal resting and relaxed as well as you can and um, having some some Benadryl with you is uh, going to be a beneficial thing and not not a negative thing so um, even for you right like you're going to feel like you're you're helping Right. Right. Man. And she's doing good now though. Yes. Yep. Um, she <laughs> are shooting North Dakota, which we're, we're filming for a new, uh, series involving waterfowl for, for meat eaters. That'll be out on her YouTube channel. So you can look forward to that. Um, she went into heat the first, first day of filming. Oh, and super convenient. It, yeah, you know, it's nothing I've ever dealt with before. And and she was still interested in hunting, was not interested in uh, listening to me tell her what to do. So just like, a, for instance, like everything went great, but just a for instance, right, I'd tell her to heal and she'd heal like not against my leg like she's been doing forever, but she'd heal like four feet away. And she's like, this is just as close as I'm going to get right now. Wild, man. That's interesting. It's like listening, but not listening. I don't know. That's, but I'm, I'm glad right. mostly number one, super scary on the snake bite. And yeah, just glad that, glad that she's, uh, doing good now. And, and, uh, yeah, God, that is, that is crazy, man. Again, the stuff that you just don't like, I guess, you know, it can happen. You just don't really expect it to happen. Oh yeah. And you know, I went back into that country um, about a week later with, with my friend who had the tag and we got, uh, to the, like the next level of seriousness. Sorry. We got to like the, the next level of seriousness and we really hit it hard. We were just burning our eyeballs out on the glassing situation and covered an incredible amount of ground and never saw a snake we probably probably covered five times the amount of country that the dog and i did and never saw a snake one one fun aside is um i've been using those uh 18s oh right yep 
And I was up on this Canyon rim and I was just kind of curious to see like, there's little pools of water, Mm -hmm. not like a flowing river. And I was just kind of curious to see what was down there. And with the 18s from like basically directly overhead, 300 feet below, I was watching uh, a brown trout feed below the surface. That's awesome. It was awesome. It was really cool. You literally yeah. can't stop hunting for fish. When I ask you about fishing, you're like, well, I hunt I hunt for the perch. I have, uh, you know, trying to find those things. And then, oh, fishing? Yeah, I wanna, I'll want. i go spear fishing, which is hunting for fish. And now you're glassing for fish, Ryan. So uh, I'm, I'm detecting a little bit more hunter, hunter than angler uh, drive there, perhaps. But uh, that's cool that you can see that. Yeah, those those eighteen by fifty six uh, UH uh, Razor UHDs are uh, they're a cool bino. I mean, they're definitely if you have a need for a here advertisement mode here. But if you do have a need for like a higher power binocular where you really want to get serious about your tripod glassing, uh, that's a tough one to beat. I like those a lot as well. So oh, they're they're with me all the time now. Like I, they don't. And this is the question I get all the time. I'm not sure if you do. I'm sure you do is like, do they replace a spotting scope? And, you know, I run like the biggest spotting scope and and they don't. I'm like, when it's time for that to come out, like it's, it's an extra level of detail that I'm looking for. Right. And, um, but it has reduced the amount of time that I've spent behind the spotting scope. Mm hmm. Cause I'm, I'm covering ground. My eyes are relaxed. Um, and I'm, I'm plenty close. Like it's, it's a, yeah, it's just a, a wonderful addition to the kit. Super cool, man. That's awesome. Uh, spe- so getting into the back country, you know, you're talking about getting back there, glass and looking for critters. Uh, you gotta stay, you gotta stay, uh, you know, get, keep the calories going in your body. You're burning a lot of calories. Do you have a do you have a go to bar or snack that's just like always makes it in your pack? I feel like that's something like you could get tired. You know, you get tired. You're like, ah, oh, man, I always pack these. Like, ah, oh, do I need another one of these bars? And you, you know, you, you get it down, but you're just like, you know. But is there one that you're just like, man, I really like this one? So I I tend to like pack like the pro meal bars, mm-hmm. which are expensive. But if you if you like actually look at, um the nutritional breakdown, like those are worth having in your pack. And then I have like my guilty pleasure thing, which is not worth having in your pack. And that's the sweet and salty, like the classic sweet and salty bar. Um, that if you look at the nutritional value of that, it's like not worth the weight of packing it around. Um, but it's a nice little treat. And then you know, again, like cold weather stuff. Like I bring uh, packets of miso soup with me huh. and, and I'll fire up some miso soup and it, you know, it's a high sodium deal, but you're, you're losing a lot of salt. So it's a little, uh, anti cramp and just a nice treat type of medicinal out there on the mountain. For sure, man. No, I, I get that. Those, uh, you gotta have, it's amazing how like those little comfort things, like how big a deal that that can make, you know, I mean, that can just, uh, it can just change, change uh, your mindset, your outlook. It feels good in oftentimes a uh, environment when, you know, it's uh, difficult to feel good. You're working hard. Maybe you're super cold, whatever. So 
that definitely makes uh, makes a lot of sense. What about so? Okay, well, you may have answered this question already, but I was going to ask uh, your favorite. Do you have other than the 18s? Do you have a favorite Vortex optic? I like them all. Guilty. I like them all. But uh, what about uh, what about you? Is there one, is there a standout that you're just uh, really digging right now? Man, I mean this this year those eighteen by fifty sixes. Like I've I have just spent so much time behind them, and they're just like a, a joy to pull out. I haven't like dialed in like the perfect system as far as like quick, quickly accessible on the pack, you know. But I'm I'm working on it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and and that would would be it. Um, those LHT scopes are amazing they are super durable um i like the uh that uh 40 millimeter objective like Mm -hmm. like it's just a lower profile and and for me like lower profile is just like something if you just do the surface area math it's one less thing that i'm gonna smash on something and mess up yeah no it doesn't sound like much but Trust me, it all helps. <laughs> do, do do the math. No, I mean that. Uh, you know, for me personally, like you know, on the hunt side of the rifle scope lineup, which actually that that scope series really crosses over and kind of you know kind of bridges a little bit of a gap between that long range tactical side of things. But like you said, that you know you got the three to fifteen, and actually the four and a half to twenty two by fifty as well. It's a little it's a little bit bigger, but it's not a lot bigger. But um, man, just you know, the size, the weight. The optics again. I'm I'm in advertisement mode here, but just like stunning clarity. You've got an illuminated uh, center dot on the three to fifteen if you need it. Uh, on the first focal plane, four and a half to twenty-two by fifty. Uh, that reticle illuminates as well a little bit more. But um, you know, pop up and down locking turrets. If you you know if you're going to go through the process of getting your ballistic data to dial elevation, uh, you got plenty of travel with the thirty millimeter tube. I mean, it really is like. I don't. To me, it's one hunting rifle scope to do it all. It's like, oh, you want to sit in a tree stand with your favorite hunting rifle? Great, put that on top of it. Oh, you want to use that same rifle and you want to go, you know, extend your effective range if you have to shoot a deer or an elk or get an opportunity that's across a canyon and you're confident making that shot because you've you've gone through the process of getting accurate ballistic data and and you've practiced that shot and you're confident there. Um, you know, it you can. It really is like I said. It's one scope to do it all. So if you're looking for that scope. Go to vortexoptics.com or one of your local dealers. There. There I said that. There you go. There I said there it. It's go. out now, there. I, I have to say that I recommend the 3 to 15, hands down, across the board. Because whenever I'm taking someone out hunting or even just, just hunting with a friend or whatever, I'm always like looking at the power that their scope's on. Right. And then casually reaching over and dialing it down. <laughs> right. Because I'm like, you are not going to find what we're like. If the thing pops up in this situation, you're not going to find it very fast. Yep. Like, let's, I want, like, we're just going to crank that down. Ideally, we're going to have all the time in the world and then you can power it up to whatever you want to do. But if you can't put it in the scope, we're not going to get to that point. I, I agree. I think for your general carry around, Depending on the terrain, uh, that three to six is probably where you want to want to be, and and probably you know four I think is like a nice spot to keep 
keep your scope at, you know, until you need, maybe need to, like you said, dial it up and, and, uh, you know, uh, you know, use that magnification to, to your advantage. Um, but yeah, that's, that's definitely a good tip there. Um, okay, Cal, here's one for you. Gonna, gonna, uh, peel you back like an onion here. What's, uh, what's something that very few people know about you? It doesn't have to be incriminating. Is, is there something, is there a little tidbit, little nugget? Oh, yeah. Cal is a family nickname. Callahan. Yeah. Surprisingly few people put that together. Wait. Okay, hold on a sec. I think I know why people call you Cal. But it's because of Callahan, right? Or no? Yes, exactly. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So everybody's Cal in the family. Oh, okay. Gotcha. I like it. I like it. What's a butchering, a hot butchering tip for a person? They're breaking down an animal. They're processing it at home. Can be anything. Doesn't matter. Deer, elk, duck, chucker. Well, I always like to say, like, try one new thing. Like if you heard about something or had something in a restaurant once, like, just, just try it. It's not going to hurt you. Um, and get yourself a grinder. Like grinding meat at home is, is phenomenal. So I, I told you that uh, my older sister and she's horribly old lady at this point, she just turned 40, um, uh, a couple weeks ago, which just means that I'm turning 39 here, uh, <laughs> in a couple of weeks. And, um, she and my, uh, nephew, like they, I made burgers and pot stickers for them, and I uh, took all of the gizzards and hearts, and that was primarily it. Gizzards, hearts, a couple of little pieces of um, goose and duck, and and uh, crane trimmings uh, from from the breast, but all goose, duck, heart, crane hearts and gizzards and ground it all up and made burgers out of it and then pot sticker filling and uh, they crushed it they loved it dude so it, try something new that Get is new yourself a grinder i i wouldn't uh, that's not one i would have thought of that is that's that's very new and there it was good huh oh yeah man I, i've been doing this uh for years and uh, you know, in like your like serious athlete circles, um, you'd throw in like a little bit of liver in there too. But um, if you ever come across like in specialty butcher shops or something like stuff called iron grind, yeah, it's it's would be similar to this. You okay. know? it's like you're taking uh, chunks of meat that um, or high protein and a little bit of iron content. And, supposed to be uh, rejuvenating for your muscles there you go when you're when you're just doing your your general grind like you know you, you got a deer and you got your grind pile are you are you do you add beef fat or not or any sort of like you know what i did on 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 that batch with the birds is um my mom had dropped off they got a batch of pork sausage made a few like a few years ago now uh-huh um that the fat content was just like out of control. Mm -hmm. So it was, it was a little bit of meat and a lot of fat. And, um, I, uh, take that sausage 
and we'll like cube it up and, and throw it while it's still like semi frozen and throw it into grind mixes. And that works out great. Um, if you get, you know, like getting like that real fatty pork shoulder, mm-hmm. um, works awesome too. Um, and then I'm, I'm just kind of like on the lookout for like fatty things to pitch in there with stuff. So, uh-huh. Yeah, no, no, that makes sense. Uh, sometimes I, I just like, if I'm planning on doing just like, I guess things that I don't need it to stick together in any way, then I just leave it as is, as kind of the lean meat that it is and throw it in a chili or spaghetti or whatever. And um, Exactly. Yeah. So that's, and you can throw an egg in there and like a little bit of breadcrumb or a butcher's trick uh, from uh, Brian Merkel, buddy of mine out, out there in, in uh, Duluth. He uh, is a fantastic sausage maker and he'll add in uh, like uh, potato starch mm-hmm. as a binder. And that's, that's a great hot tip. Huh. I've never heard of that before. I like it. Yeah. I like it. What about, uh, everybody loves the, uh, the ongoing cartridge debate. What's, uh, what's Cal's go-to hunting cartridge these days? Oh man. I've been shooting that whether it be six and a half RPM. Uh-huh. And it's, it's pretty wild. It's, it's pretty darn cool. Um, you know, super low recoil, uh, when, you know, do the occasional, you know, like vortex challenge or something like that type mm-hmm. match, you feel like you can shoot as long and far as people want, you know? And, um, it's just a pleasurable round to shoot and, and it is quite devastating on, on game. Like it's a high confidence, low recoil package. Um, and I, I've been impressed with that one. I, I really did like, um, a lot of the results that I got with the, uh, 280 Ackley improved. Mm-hmm. I thought that was a, a real cool cartridge. Um, and although I just heard that 300 Win Mag copper is selling for $275 a box in California. So I'm just going to like hang on to the 300 Win ammo I have. Yeah. Uh, I still, I still love that cartridge. It's t- yeah, it's a great cartridge. I mean, I'm gonna I'm gonna give the nod to the 300 WSM, but uh, but the, you got I mean the 300 Win Mag it, it is undeniably a very popular, very effective, awesome cartridge. So, um, oh, you drop one of those things in somebody's hand, and you know it's like oh yes, I understand how this would work. <laughs> yeah. It just kind of answers a lot of the questions for you, yeah, up front. It does. Okay, Cal, you've got one species to hunt for the rest of your life. And it could be, I'm going to go, we're going to go everything again here. Big game, small game, turkeys, deer, elk, upland birds, waterfowl. You get one thing to hunt. We'll, we'll lump waterfowl, you know, the, the, all the ducks, all the ducks, all the geese. You get one thing to hunt. What are you picking? Does the dog get to live as long as I do? Yes. Okay, then then it's going to be birds right now. Like, I'm just like anybody with a new dog, it's... It's, it's like, it's so addicting, you know, um, you realize, you realize they don't have horns, right? I do. I do. It's just like, man, it's, 
the level of enjoyment is you know like for the effort is is just incredible right like it's it's amazing it's amazing um so yeah like birds birds would just be great lots of like specifically like upland is i just get a lot more exercise and cover a lot of ground and and uh you know have somebody to talk to that uh, isn't outwardly judgmental so <laughs> Uh, yeah, they might, yeah, I mean, they might sit three feet away when you tell them to, uh, you know, to come, come by you there, but yeah, no, uh, yeah. what, um, okay. We made, uh, we made Giannis do this, so we're going to make you do it. Give us, give us your best Renella impression. You know, uh, a lot of people don't know this, but, uh, my old man, uh, he was in World War II. Uh, a whiskey, whiskey dose. That's about it. I like it. Uh, we're ripping through them now. Everybody loves gear. Is is there an underrated piece of gear? And this isn't the overrated, underrated portion that we're going to get to you very shortly. Uh, an underrated piece of gear that's a difference maker for you in the field. Like something you're like, man, I use this thing all the time, but a lot of people, they don't use this thing. You know, one, one thing that's, that's just like a great tool to have around are those solar lanterns. Been using those for years. Um, and now that, now they have one for a couple of years now, um, that can charge. So you can like charge, um, a rechargeable headlamp or a phone or something, you know, small like that. Um, that's a, fantastic tool uh, i like the aquamira drops for um, water purification in, in most mountain areas where you're drinking pretty clear water mm-hmm. and you know man a good camp cup and spoon combo is, is just so hard to beat um the assurance of like a leatherman tool so hard to beat they've gone through a lot of iterations uh but it, a freaking phenomenal shooting tool is that um, that uh, Spartan bipod, like very lightweight. Um, you know, don't know what's there, but provides a great shooting platform mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. In, in the field, and uh, it's it's tiny and lightweight and, and justifiable on, on those big hunts. And I've, I've taken every big game animal in the last probably five years with one. And, and they're just fantastic. And I just basically like live in the, the closed category until they fall off. Like I'm pretty darn happy. I'm not like looking for something else. we got a bunch of cool uh, first light stuff coming out. that's going to turn in some heads. We'll start seeing that pretty quick. Okay. Um, but like, I'm pretty hard to impress, you know. I'm like, ah, do we really need that? Yeah. You know, like, I'm pretty set with what we got. So everything that you mentioned there, actually. Uh, so I've been looking at those Spartan bipods. I don't have one yet, but they look super, super sweet. And I uh, haven't used the drops that you're talking about, the Aquamira drops. So I'll probably be looking into a handful of those things myself. So, and uh, like you said, the Leatherman that. 
that's there's a lot of backups built into the Leatherman. Like, <laughs> it's it's good to have there are, with you. There are, and, and I'll be the first. Like, I, I will on those long hunts, and I'll I'll make a point at trying to get real gear savvy and shave a bunch of weight. I, I will. It's hard for me to do, but I will take the old folding pocket knife and leave it in the console of the truck. Okay. Yep. When I, I'm packing the Leatherman around on, on the, the big long stuff. So, yep. Uh, okay. We'll get a little bit serious here. Uh, what do you think, uh, what do you think the most important thing hunters can do to, uh, grow the sport and bring new folks into the fold is, uh, you know, right now, what, what, uh, what can people be doing? You know, I, I think just kind of knowing what, what you're talking about and having the self-awareness to know that, you know, everybody has the potential to be, everybody you run into has the potential to be an incredible ally. Um, and even though you are not representative of every hunter, you know, you know, people look at you as the representative of every hunter in those little interactions on the trail or in the parking lot or, um, you know, in the store when you got to run in there and in, uh, all your, all your camo to grab something that you forgot. Right. So, you know, be, uh, somewhat prepared to, say like, Oh yeah, this is what I'm doing. I'm really looking forward to it. And this is why I appreciate it. Nice succinct. How you doing? Have, have a good morning type of way. I think goes a, a really, really long way. Yep. Like be prepared to leave a good impression. For sure. For sure. So what we we've, uh, that was question 19 by the way. So we're at question <laughs> 20, which is the long awaited overrated, underrated, or accurately rated portion of this conversation. Cal, are you ready? Oh, I'm, I'm pumped. Okay. Number one, the movie Jeremiah Johnson. Overrated, underrated, accurately rated. Underrated. I'd agree like, with I that. I know it gets a lot, of, a lot of hype amongst our circle, but there's plenty of folks, especially right now that have never seen it. It's, it's a phenomenal movie. If, if you haven't seen it, check it out there. I mean, it is a true classic. Uh, I, uh, I, I do, uh, uh, that, that one holds a, a special place in my heart for sure. So, uh, speaking with, uh, or in the same line, uh, cinema, this is a, probably a little bit more, uh, pop culture-ish the series squid game. Have you seen it, Ryan? Okay, so yeah, I've seen uh, several episodes. Okay, we're not asking for a yep. spoiler alert; just a general, a general feeling as far as you've gotten. Well, I'll, I'll add to that pop culture and, and tell you that I watched a Saturday Night Live skit where they cover Squid Game. Okay, and that's it's like a country song written about Squid Game. It's uh, fantastic. It gives you gives you the whole overview of the the series in a uh, very palatable, you know, country type of tune. It's great. Okay, so if you want the if you want the Cliff Notes version in a country tune, you can you can turn to that then. Yes. Okay. Yes. 
Gotcha. Yeah. And, and I'll, I'll tell you, like, you know, I do a ton of research for a living. I guess I got a lot of excuses, I guess, if you want to just boil it down to that. But when it's time for me to just turn on the, the TV, I want, I, I want like some uh, happy-go-lucky entertainment. There needs to be like, if it's going to be violence for the sake of it, of entertainment, I almost want it to be like schlock horror film. This is so absurd. Uh, versus something like real, real serious. Like if, if you want like my pop culture number one thing, uh, and I, I was down on him for a little bit of season two is uh, Ted Lasso. Have you seen that? No, I haven't. I'm going to write that down. It's, it is just a, uh, like, it's so cute and kind of heartwarming and positive that you kind of feel like a little guilty watching it. But then it, like, comes back with some adult humor and it's just, like, well-balanced and overall uh, a positive show. It's a good one. Positivity. Okay. Yeah. Uh, well, nobody asked me, so I'll ask me. Uh, Squid Game. I think it's overrated. There, I said it. Comment below. It's out there. I just, you know, I oh mean, oh my wasn't... god, I totally forgot the premise of what we were doing. Well, that's okay. Yeah. No, I don't know. I, I know, I wasn't really aware of the hype of that one. I had some buddies talk about it. That it, I do think it's overrated, Mark. It, the premise is older than tv correct you know, like the the story's been written in various ways a bajillion different times um and there's some little bits in there that i thought were like unique for sure but yeah you're you're not overrated for sure and i'm not saying Sorry, I i'm gonna be i'm gonna be tighter now Overrated. Well, I just thought Overrated. I just thought that was just I thought that was just an accurately rated. Like I thought you were just I thought you were just kind of giving it like an accurately rated there. So, oh, uh, no. what about okay? Something close to close to our hearts here. Uh, backstraps. Oh, that's a good one. I, I mean, I think I can go accurately rated. That's safe play. That's what I do too. Because it's hard. I mean, it's hard. There's so I many. Get what you're going around. Yeah. 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 Okay. Okay. Uh, all right. Uh, marriage. Boy, uh, wrong guy to talk to. Uh, <laughs> you know, there's some great examples out there, Mark. Uh, and uh, if you're in one of those scenarios, you know, I, I hope it continues to be wonderful. Yeah, looks good on you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay. All right. Back to the back to the cartridge thing. Uh, six five Creedmore. Overrated, underrated, accurately rated. That is hard, and I can't just like you can't like give an answer on this that isn't like worthy of a follow up. I'm gonna say, I'm gonna say accurately rated. And I probably don't live in like the cartridge world. And this is an assumption as much as you do, Mark, but as much as I want to dive in, like there, there's a lot of, lot of benefits to that cartridge. Yeah. Go oh, ahead. Okay. Uh, so, uh, again, so here's where I'd, I would preface this. I'd preface my, uh, my evaluation 
with I love the six five Creedmoor. I have a couple. I have three six five Creedmoors. I think I think it's a great <laughs> cartridge. We did a podcast, Cal. It was called "What Is America's Cartridge," and we all we debated it amongst ourselves. We stated our case, and I was actually saying that the six five Creedmoor was going to be America's cartridge. So, however, with all that said, I think it's overrated. I think people I think people think it's magic and it's at the end of the day it is a cartridge. So, there you go. Yeah, or I, some I, yeah, people, I, I shouldn't I, say not everybody. Yeah, I mean that's that's I can agree to that as easily as I can agree with it's accurately rated, right? Like I I think it it is like it's a comfortable cartridge that when matched with the appropriate projectile delivers fantastic results. I do not just like anything, right? It's like, it's not, it's meant for something and it's not supposed to be abused. There you go. (laughs) Yeah. That's, that's a good, that's a good way to put it. All right. Last one. This is it. This is everybody. This is the big one. Big bucks. Overrated, accurately rated, underrated. Where are you at with that one? Overrated? I mean, my gosh, you people. <laughs> Just stay home and watch some football, for gosh sakes. I'll still be out there, but you need to go home. I'm going to go with... Uh... As much as I should say, maybe overrated, I'm gonna have to go with accurately rated because I per, like I don't I don't I'm not gonna hold out like my entire hunt doesn't revolve around getting a big one, but I sure think they're cool. So there I go. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Like it it's forces your feet forward through the snow and up the mountain more than just the idea of anything. Yeah. And what yeah. else, what else are you going to think about the rest of the year? You know, even when you have like an anything mindset, you're still thinking, but maybe <laughs> it could happen. So awesome. Cal. Well, thank you so much for the time and letting me uh, pester you with these, uh, with these questions. Hopefully I know uh, I always find you a very interesting, fascinating individual. And hopefully the listeners here have a little bit more of a window into that, which is the Ryan Callahan. Uh, you guys are doing amazing things over there at Meat Eater. Really enjoying all the uh, content that you guys are kicking out. Sounds like you have some new waterfowl content that you're kicking out. So uh, keep uh, everybody, keep your eyes peeled for that. I know I will. And then outside of that, Cal, uh, any any parting words uh, before we sign off here? Thank you guys so, so much for having me on. And, and my main goal for the rest of the season is to just spend more days out there. You know, and, and I'm not necessarily just after that big buck, but I'll be thinking maybe. And um, I'm going to spend a lot with the dog, and, and it's going to be fantastic. So. I like it. Make the t-shirt, maybe. Uh, but uh, awesome. Well, Ryan, thanks again. We're going to let you get uh, get back to it, get back to your life here. And, uh, yeah, take care. It's always a pleasure. And thanks for everything from you guys. And uh, take care, and we'll talk soon. Thanks a bunch, Mark. All right, man. Take care. Bye. 
There you have it, folks. Thank you very much for listening. As usual, give this video a like if you liked it. Comment something below and give us a subscribe to the Vortex Nation podcast channel. It would mean a lot to us. Also, why don't you give us a follow over on Instagram while you're at it, at Vortex Nation Podcast. We'd love to hear from you over there, and we'll keep you updated with all kinds of cool photos and videos from our adventures that we do here. Otherwise, we will see you on the next one. Thank you again. Happy hunting and shooting, everybody. Have a good one.